Right, I thought I'd just better set that stopwatch because um, the clock says half past six for some reason. So uh, I don't know why that is. Good, we're um, here today then to uh, meet as we always do to worship God together and to learn. Um, congratulations if you're here. So many people in the church family are, have got colds and snuffles and, and stuff like that. So um, maybe later in the service, if there's an opportunity just to, to pause and, and pray, pray for those who, who are, have been unwell. I think, um, is Owen Watkins, is he still in hospital? Yeah, oh, uh, little Owen Watkins is there with, with a, a, a temperature and chest, in, in chest thing. So I uh, pray for him and Catherine up there. And uh, is, it, um, is it Evie or Lily who's in hospital? Evie Mann is also up there in the children's ward as well, and loads of other people. Are. It's great that Bethany's back today, Bethany Wargan. We were praying for her last week. So we're just to keep praying for people in the church family. Now, I've used a minute, one minute and eight seconds with that. Now, shall I add that to the message or not? Well, anyway, the other thing I've got, I hope my voice lasts, and every now and then I might have to cough, so I'm a bit worried about what might happen to, to you if I do that. So I don't know what I should... Whether Jeff could watch whether I'm getting redder and redder in the face. Anyway, enough of that. Today we're on this subject of uh, making a difference uh, where you are on the, on the home front. Uh, as I said before, every Sunday we worship to, uh, together to learn. We're here to learn and to look at God's Word together. And we're in this series from the New Testament of the Bible. And uh, we're in, uh, f- for these couple of weeks, we've been looking at some verses in a letter written by uh, uh, the Apostle Peter. Uh, the letter's called 1 Peter, and you can find the passage on page 1218 and 1219, uh, if you want to uh, look that up. I've also left my water down there. This is a disaster. I'm going to cough as well. <coughs> Good. That's, see, it worked. Right. Now, um, most of us will know, but it's good just to be reminded that the, the, the book we're reading, the Bible, the New Testament part of it, was written for the Christian community uh, in the very first century. Uh, and, you know, it's good to just be reminded, especially because we've had hundreds of years of Christianity in parts of the West, that it's good to remind ourselves that, in fact, the world had not seen anything like Christian believers before this time. I suppose the nearest they got to it was, was the Jews, uh, the Jewish nation, the Israelis. Um, but the, the, the Jews didn't much like Jesus. They didn't accept him as their Messiah. Uh, and as you know, that is what led to his death. Not that it was just a Jewish issue. I think the whole human race rejected Jesus. And they didn't much like people who followed him either. And in the wider world, in the non-Jewish world, in the, the world around the, you know, the, the Greek culture and Roman culture, Christians, as we heard last week, were, were misunderstood. They were criticized. They were accused of all kinds of things. People actually saw them as atheists. Funny that. You think, well, how come Christians would be seen as people who said, don't go near them, they're atheists. But what, what they meant by that was that they didn't worship the gods of Rome and, and Greece and whatever else. And these were godless people, they thought. They just, they're crazy people. They follow this, this, this god or this man. They, they didn't know what, called Jesus. The people around didn't know. So most people just didn't get the Christian believers. They just didn't get what they were about at all. 
and many misunderstood and criticized them. So it was, being a Christian in those days was a pretty tough gig. It wasn't an easy thing to do. And Peter, the disciple of Jesus, who had become a leader in the communities of, of Christians, he traveled, he preached, uh, he wrote, he wrote letters like this one to help some of these Christian communities just to live for Jesus in a world where they were misunderstood, criticized, and sometimes persecuted. And we're going to look at, at something of what he writes. So have a look at, uh, to start with, in 1 Peter 2, uh, we're just reminding ourselves a little bit of last week, but I, I hope it will be helpful. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Here's the key verse. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, Peter is writing to Christians. Look up the page a bit to verse number 10 there and, and see what Peter says about these people that he's talking to. He says, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These people had, had come to know God's love. They'd come to know God's forgiveness. They'd been welcomed by God. They hadn't been God's people before. They hadn't wanted anything to do with God before. But now something different had happened. They'd come to know God because of Jesus. And now they're, they're different. He says, now you're so-and-so. Now, they weren't like that before. But a, a time had come in their life where, where they got to know Jesus or they got to know the good news about Jesus and they'd come to know God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and God's life. <clears throat> And now they're different. Now they're, it says, living good lives. They're doing good deeds. Goodness is kind of coming out of these people. And where are they meant to live like that? Where are they meant to be, these good people? Well, it says there, doesn't it? Where is that? Among the pagans, it says. So that the pagans, they call the people who, who didn't, don't know Jesus, who, who didn't understand them, who criticized them and misunderstood and, uh, and just hadn't, didn't get them at all. It was those people, it was among those people that they were meant to be good, showing their good lives. And what was the point of that? Well, what does it say there in verse 12? So that those people may glorify God. That they might get to know God, that they, may, they might get to see and understand and even experience that God is good and that God loves them and that they can know him. And how are they going to do that? Well, it says because God visits. On the day God visits us. Now, some people think that might refer to the judgment day. But I, I think it's much wider than that. It has this idea of God intervening, God coming, being in the situation. And we'll see more about that later on. Now, we're believers, or well, many of us are here today, um, and that means we know God. We know that his goodness has come into us. We've known God's mercy, although we deserved his judgment. Because Jesus has died for us, because of what Jesus has done, we can be forgiven and know God's mercy instead of his judgment, and we've known that. So we know God's goodness. It's come into our lives. So where is it meant to be seen? Among the pagans, where people don't know him. That's what we've been talking about, our front lines. 
when we leave here, when we go out of these doors into wherever we live and work. So it's not just about being here in church, is it? Or it's not just about doing good with loads of other Christians. And we like to do things in groups, you know, safety in numbers. And that's a good thing to do, don't get me wrong. But this goodness is meant to be seen out there. Why? So that people can glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, to know who Jesus is. To know how we can know God through Jesus. To come to know God's mercy as well. To become worshippers of God. To receive his mercy. And there's this promise. He visits us. He's active in that too. Now I think that's a great possibility. It's a kind of principle. It runs through all of this frontline stuff. It gives us confidence, doesn't it? To look. To see what God will do. To wait to go with what he does. So what we've got, just summarize, we're in a position here. God has positioned us where? What's the position? Among the people who don't know Jesus. He wants us there. God's delighted that we're there. It's his purpose that we live for him in those places. Because why has he done that? There's a purpose So that the people around us can get to know God and glorify him as a result of who we are and what we do and what we say. And we're nourished by this amazing promise. He will visit us. He shows up. He's involved with us in our lives. So we can ask him. You might want to stop for a moment or two. Or pause and think. Where you are, where will you be tomorrow? When you leave here, where has God positioned you? He's positioned you among people. What about the purpose of it? Lord, how how could these people glorify you? But you you promised that. And what about this promise? He visits. Now, we saw last week, as Dan took us helpfully through uh, the first part of this passage, that uh, we are to live our lives as citizens and workers. And Peter talks about that in his... his, um, Uh, next in that section but then he goes on in chapter three to talk about another kind of front line another place where we live among people who don't know god don't know jesus and it's in chapter three verse one let's read it wives in the same way be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word they may may be won over without words By the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. But this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner or the weaker vessel and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil 
or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's a quotation then uh, there from Psalm 34. So this then is about a particular kind of front line. And he starts by thinking of wives whose husbands are not believers or not yet believers. We're thinking not just about that, about people being on a place where people who are close to us but somehow away from God. And this passage is going to be all about how goodness, how God's goodness and mercy can be seen in our lives when those we really love, those we're closest to, our family maybe, or our close friends, don't share our faith. And why is Peter telling them this? Why are these verses here? Well, it's some encouragement. Verse 1 tells us why. So that they may be won over. Let's not lose that. They may be won over. We'll come back to it. Now, you probably don't need me to tell you that that can be a pretty tough place to be. That can be a pretty tough gig. It's really hard to, not to be able to share completely what matters most to you with your spouse. That's why in the New Testament we're, we're told to marry, we're, we're counseled to marry those who follow Jesus if we're believers. But we don't always have that choice. Just as today in the New Testament people uh, found themselves where that wasn't the case. Sometimes because they became followers of Jesus after they were married. Or one partner did. And the New Testament is absolutely clear that, that we shouldn't, you know, you don't leave a marriage because one person's a Christian and the other person's a non-Christian. The opposite, in fact, as this passage is going to tell us. And I want us to think about the, that, that front line, that kind of relationship in the light of that key principle. You know that principle that we're there to live lives among those who don't know Jesus, that they might be touched by God's goodness and come to know him. I'm not saying, and I don't think this passage is saying, that this is the model of like Christian mar- how Christian marriage works for all time. I'll go on to that in a minute. It's in a certain context, and it's in a particular culture. And we need to understand a bit about that culture, to just get what Peter is saying in context. Because the culture of the time, and it was very well uh, documented and written down, expected the women uh, or wives to be, like Peter says here, you can find similar things in Greek writers who were writing about what's appropriate. They talked about the household code. And and, it was kind of accepted in the culture that this is how uh, wives should be. This is how households should be. To have exactly the kind of characteristics that Peter describes. Uh, and women here are, are described, or uh, here, and you might be wincing, some of you, um, at, at that phrase, the weaker partner in the NIV. Well, you think, oh, just a minute, what, what's all that about then? 
Well, again, Peter's, uh, he uses an interesting word. He uses a, a word that partner's not good because that implies that, you know, the, it, the weaker partner in a relationship, you know, as if there's some ones that kind of up there and ones down there. No, the, actually, the word he's using it can, can just basically mean that the weaker kind of men are generally stronger than women physically because of a, of a physical frame. Now, we know that's not true a lot of the time, you know. Uh, uh, well, well I, certainly Steph, my daughter, is, can, you know, can undo jars I can't undo uh, and she, because, uh, because I'm a man of a certain age and I've got uh, psoriatic arthritis that's affecting my hands. Uh, you know, so, so that doesn't make you know, the Bible right or wrong. It's just kind of life. Do you see what I mean? But, so, but, but Peter's talking. Now, it's very interesting that actually if you, if you look at what, what um, Peter's saying compared with um, what was being written at the time in the culture... Actually, what Peter says is extremely mild compared to the views of the time. I can't go into this in detail, but we can on another occasion, perhaps if you wanted to. Uh, so not the, the, um, the, the writers around would, would not just say, you know, the, 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 the wife or the woman is, is, is the weaker kind of body. They're, as it were, they're saying, no, she's not as, you know, she's below the man's status and all the other stuff that kind of... Uh, uh, is, is much kind of um, more derogatory of, of women, is what was being said at the time. Indeed, Peter's encouragement here, when he says to wives to be submissive, actually he's putting it, he's using, uh, the, the, the phrase he's using, and the NIV picks it up, he doesn't say, submit to your husbands, you know, this is what you've got to do, da da da. To be submissive. He's saying uh, he, he's putting it in a, in a kind of gentler way. He's talking about a kind of an attitude of heart and mind rather than a, you know, following directions in this context. And notice Peter says, to your own husbands, he's saying. He's not making a general statement about men and women generally. Um, that's what other writers at the time were doing. So in a sense, Peter's saying to, to Christian wives whose husbands weren't believers, he's saying to them, look, um, yeah, go with the culture. That, you know, the expectation of your husband expects you to be like this. Uh, the, again, the writings at the time were, were very strong on saying that women shouldn't be showy. They, they, you know, there, there, there are quotes you can have where, where writers uh, like Plutarch, I think, talks about you know, a, a good wife shouldn't basically look like a prostitute because you know, it, it's not right. And so this idea of, of, of women being beautiful because of their inner characteristics and so on, that, that was all kind of out there. That's what a, 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 Greek, a Greek husband or a Roman husband expected of his wife. Uh, and Peter is saying, yeah, guys, guys, go with that. I want you to be like that, but I want you to do it for Jesus. And we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. And the reason he's like that is because he's saying that the wives are to be quite different in some ways than the other Greek wives in the culture. Because part of the household code, part of what people like Plutarch and others were saying had been saying probably for hundreds of years, is that the key thing, the one thing a wife must do in Greek culture, was follow the gods of her husband. And Peter's saying to Christian wives, you can't do that. You're following Jesus. Your loyalty is to him. Your reverence is to him. And so he's kind of saying, I want you to be the best possible Greek wife you can be, because... 
you're not able to go into all of the expectations because there are expectations that clash with your loyalty to Jesus. Do you see what I mean there? He's saying, look, it's hard enough for, 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 for your husbands to accept the fact that, I mean, the implication is that you're not following their gods anymore. So, you know, you want to win them. So be the best possible kind of wife within the cultural expectations that you can be without compromising your loyalty to Jesus. And he goes on to talk to husbands, and they're supposed also to be very different from the culture. They're to be respectful of their wives. See what it says there? They're to recognize that if they're believers and they become believers, they are equal partners in God's salvation. There he says, as heirs with you, joint heirs of the gracious gift of life. So if they're a Christian family, where, you know, in the Greek world, you know, uh, a Greek husband would expect his wife to, to be, you know, sub, uh, submissive and, and all those things, but also much more as well, follow his gods and, you know, do, you know be subordinate and, you know, accept lower status and all lots of other things that Peter doesn't say here, by the way. So, so, so he's saying, uh, in a Christian family, that's to change. Your, your husbands and wives, your co-heirs of God's grace. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Bible says that, uh, that in Christ, when people become believers, or how it is through Christ, men and, men and women, they're equal. They're one in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, it says that men and women uh, in Christian marriage are to submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. You see, Jesus and Paul and Peter, in fact, you might say the Holy Spirit through Scripture. In, in passages like that, particularly what he says in, in verse 7, that little phrase about being heirs of the gracious gift of life, sets a time bomb under male-dominated culture, just like they did with slavery. And it's not kind of going to lead to a cataclysmic removal of one way of doing things, but a gradual reforming. And as the, you know, the truth of, of this, this truth got, took hold in Christian communities, so practices changed. And, and it, it became less patriarchal. Uh, now, there's all kinds of research being done on it, and it's worth looking, looking into, but I've spent probably long enough on it. Except to say... As we interpret this passage for today, we cannot interpret it by saying that the Bible says women are weaker and should call their husbands Lord (laughs) any more than we can say that we should all insist that we kiss each other whenever we meet or we mustn't eat any kind of meat that the Old Testament prohibits. Because there are passages in the New Testament that actually say that uh, Gentile believers shouldn't eat non-kind of correct meat. They should abstain from meat that's, that's, not been, uh, that's been strangled or whatever it is. The New Testament says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So do we do that? No, well, why don't we? Because we, we work the principles out and we find ways that are appropriate in our culture. So uh, we'll start with this. Please don't let 
Or don't take it. When somebody tells you that we're not taking... So, no, no, I've got... I've got yeah, so don't let a Christian who uh, eats pork and who won't kiss you tell you that churches like us are not taking the Bible seriously or we're not proper evangelicals if we encourage women to lead and preach. Because you could make that argument. That's enough of that. Let's get on to something a bit more practical. I think um, I must take off a few minutes off my timer for the stuff at the beginning. So what's in here for us? And let's come back to that uh, point. How does this help us live on our front line? That place where we can't use words. See what it says there? Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband. So if they do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. That's interesting, isn't it? It's not saying we can't speak the word, but we all know this in close relationships, don't we? You can only kind of share the truth so many times, can't you? If you, or, you know, I was talking to this with Mary, and she said, I, I guess, you know, if you don't, then you won't remain that, that close to that person for that much longer if all you're doing is constantly banging on about why don't you become a Christian? You know, call yourself a brother of mine or a wife of mine or a husband of mine and you won't become a Christian? Come on, you know. That's not going to help, is it? That's not helpful. No, Peter's saying there are times when we can't use words. And it's not just marriage. It's in family members, those who are close to us but far from God. Well, let's pick out some things that Peter tells us. There are four I just want to go through and then we'll be done. The first thing, it's about how we live, isn't it? A life well lived. Peter says, look, being a good member of the family, being a better brother, a better sister, a better uncle, a better relative, a better friend, because you're a Christian. How we live. And where does that life come from? Well, look at these phrases in there. That phrase, there's the reverence of your lives, verse 2. The reverence of, he said, verse 2 says, when they see your lives, isn't it? See, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, they see our lives. What do they see? They see reverence. What's that mean? Well, let's, let's look at some other phrases here. They see uh, an inner beauty, verse 3, that comes from being aware that it's in God's sight. In verse 5, he talks about these holy women who put their hope in God, who do, do what is right. So what he's saying is, yeah, uh, we live lives, our, our life with Jesus, our, our love for Jesus, our walk with Jesus, our awareness that we want to revere and worship God is the main thing in our lives. Our, uh, that's, that's where it comes from. It's not that we live this way because, oh, we're Christians, we better live like this, hadn't we? Or my husband or my wife's not a Christian, so I better be, you know, be, be, be a good, good husband or wife. No, I, I, I want to be like this because of Jesus and because of what he means to me. It comes from the outside. And that's what these phrases are all about. So our life with Jesus matters. That's how we live on this kind of front line, constantly walking with Jesus. And it's hard. It's especially when 
when a spouse doesn't get that or a close friend doesn't get that. And that's why we need support from Christian fellowship or from house group or from Christian friends. But we need to keep going because look at that promise or that possibility. They may be won over without words. That's why we keep going. We love them. We love Jesus. We want them to be won over. So we want to live lives that reflect Jesus to them. And as a whole community, we need to be supportive and understanding to brothers and sisters who, who may be limited in what they can come to because they want to respect and love and honor their, their non-Christian family because they've got commitments. So they, you know, it's not as easy for them maybe to come to house group every week or, or Sunday church every, every week or whatever because of, of living on their home front line. But how we live is crucial. And, and, the, and the, how we live comes out of our walk with Jesus, our love for God. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with a blessing, because to this you were called. Who does that look like? Look at that phrase, to, be, to this you were called. Does that remind you of anything? Those of you who were here last week, look across the page to, page, uh, to verse 21. When, Paul talks to, uh, when Peter talks to them about suffering as believers in, in the workplace or in some other place. See verse 21? To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What does it look like? It's living the Jesus way, isn't it? That word example there, do you know what it is in the original? If you're a little kid at school uh, in, in the Greek world, uh, you learnt your letters by, you'd have a tablet, a wax tablet that was you know, you know, hard, and on the tablet, impressed into the tablet, were all the letters of the alphabet. And the way you learnt how to do your letters was by kind of going round inside the shape. That's the word he's using here. And, and Peter's saying, for us, on our front line, in the, in the place where it can be very difficult, because those, we're, uh, we're close to us, but not that close to Jesus. He said, we live the Jesus way, we follow the lines, we follow the pattern, we, we, we do what he did. We walk with him. So we serve. Jesus did a lot of that. We bless there's a lot of praying mentioned in this passage. It's in, in verse 7, verse 9, verse 12, implied in the verses about reverence and so on. We pray for people, one on the front line, on this particular front line. It doesn't have to be out loud. It doesn't have to be with them. You might not even tell them, but you might. It's up to you how the Lord leads you. We, I don't know whether you've done, we've all done the same session, but we did that session on uh, Peter and John in, in, uh, in our house group. You've done that one? That's a great one, isn't it? That, that, that well, living in the front line. We're doing this in house groups, by the way, if you wonder what I'm talking about. Peter and John go to the temple one day, uh, just normally, and, and, and God does something. They pray for a man, something happens. Thirdly, being creatively, uh, being different. Uh, um, uh, by creatively being a blessing. So like Peter's saying to these spouses, he's saying, look, yeah, you be, be the best you can be in your culture. 
the best spouse, the best friend, the best brother, the best sister. But also be distinctive, be different. Where there is a, an opportunity to be different, maybe by blessing someone, take it. Have I got time for a very short, very short story? Yeah, very short story. Um, it's not a very good one, but it's true. Uh, when I, I, when my, my front line year, many years ago was when I was a, uh, doing social work training. I trained as a social worker. And um, we came to the end of a placement. We, there were a bunch of us uh, on a placement. Actually, here in this very city, in Shirley area offices over above um, uh, B-Jams, I think it was, the freezer shop in Shirley. And uh, came to the end of the placement. There was five, about five of us on this placement. And uh, we were talking over lunch or something. And someone said, it's the end of the placement. Let's, let's, let's go out. Let's go out and get absolutely smashed. You know, let's go and drink a load and get completely kind of, you know, cause, and celebrate. And, you know, as a Christian, I wasn't the only Christian in the group. We thought, yeah, how's that going to work then, you know? Um, so we kind of talked about it. I came up with this plan, which was... Uh, Great. Well, I tell you what. Why not? You know, let's kind of celebrate with a meal. You know, I said Mary would cook a meal. We cook a meal at our house. We lived out in the countryside at the time, and uh, you come to us. You know, and then and we'll have the meal, and then after that, <laughs> then you know, go and get smashed. But do you mind if I don't come on the getting smashed part because you know that's, I'm not quite able to do that really. Uh, so yeah, so it was like saying, well, we want to be. I want to be a great friend, but I can't go all the way in that. Uh, but here's this instead. And how did it go? Well, yeah, we went fine, except they kind of did it in the reverse order. <laughs> so, but anyway, it was it was a thought, or maybe they were just getting started, you know. And 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 more more was coming later. We were quite young at the time, and anyway, it was it was. But it, I mean, it was a bit. It was an attempt, anyway to be a good friend in a frontline place, but offering something that is positive and a blessing. And finally, what else does this tell us? Don't forget that promise. God visits. God is working for us. That's what he does. Look at chapter 2, verse 21. To you, this, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. That's the tablet that we traced around that you should follow in his steps. Now, this is a very interesting little phrase. It's not saying it, you take the path Jesus took. You know, that's the way he went. He went that way. You know, you, you know he went that way, so you follow, do that. No, no, it's not that at all. It's more like um, walking with him just a few steps ahead. It's Christmas. You know, the good King Wenceslas, you know the carol? Some do, some don't. Let me remind you of the story. The page. King, good King Wenceslas, he's out with his page in the freezing cold night. It's snowy and the page is freezing. He's in trouble. And this is what the page says. I won't sing it. Sire, the night is darker now and the wind blows stronger, fails my heart. I know not how I can go no longer. You sometimes feel like that on that kind of front line. I can't carry on. My heart is gone. It's cold. It's hard. It's tough. What does the good king say? Mark my footsteps, good my page. Tread thou in them boldly. Thou shalt find the winter's rage. Freeze thy blood less coldly. He's saying, I'm walking through the snow, page. You go in my step. And then the, the narrator goes on to say, 
In his master's steps he trod, where the snow lay dinted, heat was in the very sod. I never thought I'd say that word in church. Which the saint had printed. So he's saying, as he walked, it's, it's a legend, but you know, get the idea. As he walked, he felt the warmth coming up. And, and, and that phrase, walking in Jesus' steps, it's not the same as cooking, but it's a word that, that has this idea of walking very closely, so close that the, you're aware that the person is right there just a tiny bit ahead of you. So on this front line, you might say the most difficult. Maybe not, I don't know. But it's not an easy one. This place where we can be positioned by God to live a life that's full of goodness, a life with a purpose, to be a pointer to God's glory, to those who are there, there in that place, that loved one, that family member, that great friend. In that place where to be living good lives, even when we can't say much. And he promises to visit us. We follow close behind him. See, he's there before we are. Never forget that. He's always ahead of us. <laughs> he's never catching up with us. If you're walking with Jesus and you're seeking to follow him, you're doing that. You're not saying, come on, Jesus, could you just keep up with me? No, I'm following him. Maybe we need just to get back to that awareness of Jesus, that that's where this life comes from, that, that we know him, we love him, we serve him, we, 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 we have that, that kind of reverence of him in his life. Walking with him this week in front lines where people are close to us, but not so close to him. Let's do that. Let's walk with him this week in his steps.